Well, welcome back to Legacy on Purpose. My name is Kyle Sanders. I am the host of this podcast and the founder of Legacy Consultants Group in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I have to share with you, I was so excited for this conversation. I have always been a huge fan of the underdog, of the individual who others said could not achieve things. And J.J. Burden embodies that. He is one of the smallest NFL players in history. He went on to play nine years with the Kansas City Chiefs, playing alongside Joe Montana as his deep threat. And if you've not seen this guy's game film, you can understand why he was a deep threat. The man had wheels. But it's not his story in the NFL and his stories of playing with, alongside Joe that captivated me. It was his story to the NFL and how many times doors were shut along the way. People told him he couldn't and he won't or he'll get hurt that he didn't listen. He had such a deep driving why and the ability to be extraordinarily disciplined in his life. And I can't wait for you to hear his definition of discipline and what that means. There's a lot of wisdom in this one, folks. This is a man who's accomplished things that are really incredible and many things that people wouldn't even dream of doing. So I can't wait for you to hear the opportunity he's most proud of that he's accomplished and his answer to what legacy on purpose means to him. So without any further ado, I present to you the former NFL athlete, author, and speaker, J.J. Burden. Well, J.J., thank you so much for setting some time aside. I can't wait to share your wisdom. What an incredible story for those who don't know your story of not being the number one draft pick, your way of getting into the NFL and everything that you've done. I can't wait to have this conversation with you. Maybe share some stories about Joe Montana that not everyone knows, um, <laughs> but I can't wait to have this conversation. And truthfully, I just, before we begin, I want to recognize you. One of the most important things I think in life is being the example for others being that shining light for others. And in so many places, whether that was on the college football field, in the NFL, or as a father and as a foster father, the ability to demonstrate for others something they haven't seen in any other place and not listening to other people's no for your dreams. So incredible, so inspiring. So thank you so much for your wisdom. And I can't wait to uh, have this conversation with you today. No, thank you, Kyle. I'm excited to be here and excited to share with your audience. Absolutely. So no one knows your stat sheet. No one can see how big of a guy you are, but <laughs> you weren't you weren't the typical NFL player from a size perspective. Kind of share that story with us. This the smaller stature gentleman. Can I call you smaller stature? Yeah, you, you can, can kick my tail. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> I'm only five six, so I guess it's you know I can I can make that comment. I'm you know not a big guy myself either, but. You you made it to the NFL, not only made it to the NFL, but played at a very elite level for the Kansas City Chief for many, many years. And if you haven't seen your highlight reel of just absolutely smoking people with your speed, uh, which is a lot of fun, talk to me about what values did you anchor to as you embarked upon that dream that allowed you to achieve something when everyone else was in your ear, so many people in your ear saying, you can't do this. You can't achieve that. What allowed you? What you anchored to during that journey of yourself? Yeah, I appreciate that question, Kyle, because it's such an interesting journey because I wasn't the kid who grew up dreaming to play in the NFL, who wanted to play in the NFL. I had no desire whatsoever to play in the NFL. It's just a variety of circumstances happen 
you know, where I was constantly challenged, as you alluded to, you're too small, you're not good enough, you should go do something else. And I was told that in high school, then I was like, I'll show you. And I made it on the University of Oregon football team after walking on. And then when they started talking about the NFL, like, like again, I wasn't interested, but it was, you're too small, you'll never make the NFL, then it was, I'll show you. So mm. it was that belief, you know, because I know others always saw me as an underdog, uh, as the odds were against me, but the key was I never believed I was the underdog. And when you have that drive to prove people wrong, it, it can take you to a whole nother level of discipline, of hard work, of confidence, of resilience. And just one thing led to another. Next you know, I'm in the NFL playing against with some of the best athletes in the world. Yeah, you had to score up against Junior Seau, I read at one point. That's, <laughs> that had to get your attention. Yeah, yeah, especially when they say ex-crackback and I'm the ex-receiver and I got to go block 257-pound Junior Seau, who's about 100 pounds bigger than me. And I remember when I just, I thought, well, just go as fast as you can. And I'm running towards him and I'm, and I'm like, don't see me coming. Don't see me coming. Don't see me coming. And he looked and he just clotheslined me. Um, but here's what he did afterwards. He put his hand down. He said, hey, JJ, sorry about that. And then he went on to the next place. So it's like, I couldn't be mad at him. <laughs> you couldn't be mad at him. So everyone's telling you no, right? Because you played track for Oregon. You started as a track athlete. That's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Um, and you, your distance wasn't, you were a hurdle guy, right? A hurdle and long jumper. And long jumper. So what makes a guy who specializes in hurdling? I mean, it's hard to get to play college sports, no matter the discipline, to get even get in and get a scholarship. Doesn't matter what the sport is. What made you say, I'm a long jumper. I'm a hurdler. This isn't a person who's specializing in catching footballs, let alone going to the NFL. Like, what was the why that drove you to navigate to say, hey, I'm going to make a space, a place or a path for myself. What was driving you to do that and to achieve such an incredible goal? Yeah, the drive, the why, the motivation was, you know, I was raised in Northeast Portland, which was considered the hood, you know, and we had a tough upbringing. We, we lacked a lot of things. We struggled growing up. And at a very young age, I just, I observed my family members. I observed my friends and I watched how everyone struggled. And I just made a decision at a young age. I did not want to struggle. I wanted to see the world. I want to get out of the hood. I want to create opportunities for my family, my future family. So that was my drive. And then when I learned that if you're good enough, you can get a scholarship in college where you have no debt, I realized that that was probably my route, athletics, because I knew early on that I had the gift of natural athletic ability, but I always matched that with hard work. So mm. that saying of, I think it goes, Hard work beats talent. When talent doesn't work, I said, but what happens when talent puts in the work? That was kind mm. of my thought process. So, so high school, I was the number one wide receiver in, in high school. I was 5'9", 133, and no Division I school would offer me a football scholarship. And I was insulted. I just felt like, you guys don't know what you're doing. You, you're missing out. And but I realized that in track and field, it didn't matter how big you were. Was how far can you jump? How fast are you? And as I was being recruited, University of Oregon was the only school that when I asked them, what do you think about me walking on in football one year? 
And they were the only division one school that said, if you come to Oregon, you run for us. You have our blessing if you can convince the head coach to let you walk on. So all I saw was opportunity. And, mm. and Kyle, that's what really, you know, opened that doorway. Because when I went to Oregon the first year, I ran track. And the second year, I literally begged Coach Rich Brooks to just let me walk on. And he finally said yes. Well, Oregon's no schlep of a, of a track and field uh, school either. I mean, they're one of the most premier track and field schools in the nation if not the most premier. So yeah. the fact that you got that opportunity that the coach was willing to be flexible enough, mm-hmm. you must've been pretty convincing. Well, I think, you know, I was the, the number two ranked long jumper in the nation my senior year. So they wanted me to go to Oregon pretty bad. <laughs> I didn't went to any division one school, but they knew that that could be the carrot because, uh, to just give me the blessing because, you know, USC and Washington State and UCLA, they were like, no, you're track only. But Oregon was like, yes, just, you know, come here. And I think what's interesting about it was the second year, so I started secretly watching the football practices. First, Kai, I wanted to evaluate the players. Are they really that much bigger than me? Are they Mm -hmm. really that much more athletically? And after five days of watching spring practice, I realized that, okay, they're not. I can do this. I just got to create the opportunity. So the next day, I went and stood on the football field watching practice. I'm not supposed to be there. Someone's going to kick me off the field, but they're going to know why I'm there. And I stood, stood there for two and a half hours. Finally, Rich Brooks, the head coach, he came all the way down the field and said, Burden, you're the track kid. What are you doing out here? I've seen you in the stands. And that was the beginning of the conversation where finally Brooks said, okay, we'll give you a shot. You can walk on in the fall. But even when he said that, he goes, you can walk on in the fall and we'll see what you got. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to give you a football scholarship. or No, it was like, we'll see what you got. So I don't think any of them thought I was going to make it. They didn't expect it. They didn't see it coming. Yeah, they didn't see it coming. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I got so many questions from, from, from that. The first one I want to ask you is, is for you, it sounds like this whole process of from high school to college, from college to NFL and from NFL beyond is about creating opportunities where other people said there weren't. What is the opportunity you created for somebody you love that you care about the most that makes you the most proud that has come from that drive inside you? What, what is that opportunity for somebody? I would probably say our five nieces and nephews. Um, My wife and I, we've been married 30 years, college sweethearts. We have three children, you know, our own. And and about 13 years ago, I got a call from my nephew, Justin, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And there were some problems going on out there with, with my family. So I flew out there the next day to Tulsa to check on my five nieces and nephews. And 24 hours later, I'm in a courthouse standing before the judge and the judge says, well, Mr. Burton, we're going to take your five nieces and nephews and put them in five separate foster homes Mm. or the next of kin. What do you want to do? Holy cow. Yeah. You want to talk about one of those gut check moments where you're just like, "Uh, I just came here to check on the children. Now you're like, you know, but I did what any smart husband would do. And I said, Jez, let me call my wife first. Yeah, I was going to ask. Like, you, you, yeah, you're take, I hope you took a, a, a quality timeout on that one. Yeah, yeah. Timeout. Yeah, call it a timeout. But, you know, I have an awesome wife. It, it was like we had this conversation. I literally told her, I said, babe, 
I won't bring the children home if, if you think this is going to be hard on our family and, and it's just going to cause a lot of problems. She was like, could you really sleep at night knowing we could have done something? And then the decision was made. And so to answer your question, the opportunity we gave for our five nieces and nephew and pulling them out of that situation and then merging them into our family where we went from a family of five to a family of 10 and giving them uh, some opportunities that they probably would not have. And that's probably one of the things my wife and I are, are more prouder of. How old are they now? How old are your niece and nephews now? They are now, uh, the youngest Alicia is 19. Okay. And then, um, Justin, who was the oldest, he is 31. Then LaShawn is 26. Leah is 24 and Brandon is 25. So as you look at where their lives are today and you see the values that they're embodying, the direction that they're going, the choices they're making, what values do you see them carrying forth that you can say, you can look at them and go, I know my wife put that in them, or I know that they saw me modeling that. Like, what are the things that you see them living that you know came to them, that you blessed them with, that an absence of that act of courage probably wouldn't have been instilled on them as, as young people? I would say making smart, wise decisions and realizing that the decisions you make today are going to affect you later. And here's what's interesting about this, Kyle. Of the eight, the oldest, Justin, once he graduated and he was ready to kind of do his own thing, he went back to Tulsa. Mm. He went back to the environment we pulled him from, and he's had a rough life ever since. The other four, and then my children, they were like, we're not doing that. <laughs> we're staying here. We're going to follow your example. And I've watched those seven make smart decision after smart decision, whether it's business, school, marriage. And that's the one of the things I'm proud of because that's the example that Rain and I set for them is that, you know, life is full of choices and decisions and you got to choose wisely because one decision can take you either down or it can take you up to bigger and better things. And so, 100%. but we also learn as a parent, you can set the best example, have the right intentions. And sometimes children are just going to do what they want. And that's what Justin went on to do. And, um, you know, he's, I've talked to him a couple times, but he's got his own responsibilities and he's got to take care of his own family. So, um, so we did our best to at least give, at least when we got Justin, he hadn't been in school for two years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He had been out of school. We got him back in school. We got him graduating. We at least got him going in the right direction. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've read David Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me. Um, it's, it's an incredible book, but he talks about this experience of his mother leaving his abusive father and where David's life went and this courageous act of his mother to leave a really, really horrible situation, but not only horrible from that perspective, but she left with nothing, no money, no resources, and really, but what's not talked about in the book too much, unless you listen to him, is that his brother chose to stay. Mm -hmm. His brother chose to stay in that relationship. And I think one of the things that is so important when we think about the directions of our life is two things I really grab from that is one is the power of choice and the power of the people we spend time around, right? It's our teammates, if you will. It's that he chose to go play for the, the you know, a different team, mm -hmm. you know, not team JJ, not team vision and victory and success mm -hmm. and ownership, but team, you know, different direction. And, you know, you can't, you can't make somebody choose to play on your team. Right. 
That's a powerful understanding. So as you've gone through your life, one of the things I think is really interesting as this why is there is this early phase of your why is, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll show you a little bit, a little chip on the shoulder, right? You know, I mean, you look at what that's done to Tom for Tom Brady, right? You know, and some of these, some of these incredible Hall of Famers, you know, Aaron Rodgers was picked. Yeah, I forget what round, I think 12th round, if I if I recall correctly, right? Mm-hmm. Is it and that was your story. You, you know, you had to make it in the combine. You had to get attention where we're recording. I'm recording this here in Indianapolis. Yeah. But there's been this transition in your life from the why before the NFL. Where did that transition to how you see things now today? And, and it is certainly a little bit more internal versus external yeah. from my watch. Where did that switch flip? And how has that served you as a leader today? Yeah, it's definitely changed. And that's one of the things I always encourage people to do is reevaluate your why from time to time. Because what was driving you a year ago, two, three, four years ago, might not be what's driving you today. And even today, think about this. My youngest child moved out a month ago. So, so many years, the why was driven by the needs of our children. Mm-hmm. Take care of our children, giving them opportunities, setting them up. Now they're all gone. So now the why revolves around my wife and I, you know, now being able to really spend that quality time together, to have that freedom to do what we want to do, when we want to do it with each other, you know. So so today that's what's driving me. Because understand, we've been raising children for 30 years. We had a honeymoon baby, you know, so like, <laughs> Let's just have our three children, you know? So um, so in my businesses today, that's kind of that thing that gets me up every single day to be my best, to give my best, because I want to be able to, you know, provide a life that my wife and I can really enjoy our time together. It's it's our time now. It's, it's her and I, because we've been given to everyone else now for so many years. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. You've been raising children for, you said, 30 years? Yes, I'm going to see. Yeah, 30 years. Honeymoon baby. We've been married 30 years. Yep. <laughs> That's incredible. I just wanted to get that on the recording so your wife knows that you knew without having to look at anything how long <laughs> you've both been married. So that's 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 a husband looking out for another husband is what that was right there. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I think is really exciting about listening to you speak is that you share these ideas, these two or three things, these little micro ch- choices that that the understanding that if we want to get someplace impressive, significant, impactful, that it's these daily disciplines. And one of the things that I love, I talk about this a lot myself after just I just trained and completed my first 50-mile ultra marathon. And there was a lot of times I didn't want to get up and run. All right. I've got this incredible video of me doing an eight-mile run in the pouring rain because it was the only time I can get my run in and it's eight miles just it, it, I look like Forrest Gump in the in the you know when the when Captain Downs out there on the boat and it's just dumping down. That's what I went through, right? Because if you run or you do what you need to do when it's easy, when it's convenient, and when it feels good. So where did you learn the power of discipline, and how do you apply that to these little pieces that people can apply each and every day to really make a profound impact in their life? For me, you know, it it was innate. I mean, my parents would tell stories of me when I was five years old. You know, I'd, I'd watch the Olympics and then I'd take the a cardboard boxes outside and, and try to jump over them, pretend they were hurdles. You know, I've, <laughs> I've always had this internal drive and this discipline that has just been there from day one. Now, it's evolved as I got older and it was 
driven because everybody doubted me. But when I got to the NFL and I realized that I was playing against the best athletes in the world where there's only 1,696 men that are in the NFL and you look at the odds and all that, on day one, I realized that I have to be able to make incremental improvements every single day because everybody's fast, everyone's a great athlete, everyone's hungry. And so I took that mentality into the NFL was constantly trying to make little tweaks, little improvements here and there. And the discipline was the key. And it's one of my favorite words. I describe it as discipline is the ability to do what you need to do when you need to do it while no one is watching. Mm. And to be the best, often you are by yourself. And the things you have to work on and you have to have the ability to motivate yourself to do it. And through every phase of my life, whether it's to be a better athlete, to be a better husband, to be a better parent, to be a better speaker, that has driven me to get better and better and showing that discipline. 100%. 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think one of the things that you recognize is you you see the power of discipline is that you you see that it's where it's what gives you the confidence the moment where you need it the most. Yeah. It's, the, it's those deposits you make in your mental box to say it's that hot August day of sticking around to catch a thousand more passes. Yeah. It's the hot August day where I don't want to go out and do my 25 mile run. Those are the days you want to hang the cleats up early, right? Mm-hmm. Well, those are the, those are the deposits in those championship games that have made the difference. Like w- when you realize the power of discipline, right? So you played what nine years in NFL, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So did you discover the power of discipline in year one? And if not, like, what did these little discipline habits do as you reflect on your career? How did that have, make an impact on the success that you had? Oh, huge impact. Day one, first I got the reality of check that you're you're not in the college. You're not in high school. Okay, athletically, where you were the superior one, everybody's got that. So it was the year I was on IR. I tore up my ACL ligament. I was with the Cleveland Browns. And I had this free year where I had no pressure. I just had to sit back, get healthy, and watch. And during that year, Kyle, I learned one very important lesson. If I'm going to make it in the NFL, I've got to get better at my releases. I got to get better at catching the ball. I got to get better at studying the plays. I got to get better, better. So I just studied all the veterans. And I just picked their brains over and over and over. I took notes. I watched film so that by the time it was time for me to play, then I was able to execute everything that I had been studying and writing down and and on the field. And I wasn't great at it at first, but I understand mastery is all about practice. You got Mm. to put in the work and you might be bad for some time, but you keep putting in that work you eventually get good and you become a master. And I mastered so many small techniques that that was one of the reasons why I lasted so long because when you can run a 4-3 and a 40 and guys can't get their hands on you at the line or you're willing to make that diving catch or you always know your assignment, you have a better chance to stay longer in the NFL. Yeah, don't get hit, right? So yeah. lesson one is don't get hit. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't it's, get, like- it's funny because... People always ask me, 157 pounds, how did you, what about the hits? I didn't take a lot of hard hits. I mean, I took, I could probably say on two hands, maybe eight or nine good hits in nine years. Because usually it was here and they were grabbing my ankles or they were grabbing my leg. And so um, you get to the point where you know how to use your talents and abilities to your advantage. 
Did you see that right away sitting on the bench watching these other guys just get leveled? Did that dawn on you? That oh, yeah. On the bench? oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember the the first practice, I was going against a guy named Hanford Dixon, all pro, 6'2", 230 or something. And I came off the line and he grabbed me like this and then he just shook me and he threw me out of bounds on the ground. <laughs> then he said, rookie, this is the NFL. And it's going to stand for not for long for you. You better do better than that. And oh so right there, I made a decision that I'm going to get so quick and so good at the line. They're not going to be able to put a hand on me because that can't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, do you talk to him still? The guy who tossed you? Do you guys? I have. I, we have traded notes or at least messages through social media, um, and I think I even I have them in one of my keynotes because that was such a. That was one of those moments where I said, this is your breakthrough moment. Mm-hmm. Either that moment's going to take you down or out, or you better figure out how to beat these guys or you won't be in the NFL very long. And that was one of the moments that caused me to just become a serious student of the game to where next year when I showed up with the Chiefs, those DBs couldn't even get their hands on me and I was gone, you know. So what did you, did you know in that moment? Did you know, like, so he tosses you and uh, what was the guy's name again? Hanford Dixon. Hanford Dixon. So when Hanford picks you up, teach you like a sack of potatoes, just sets you aside. Did you know, Did like in that moment while you're picking yourself up off the ground, right? Then your ego and all the things that probably went along with it, right? Did you know what that moment was? Did you recognize what just happened to you? What lesson was delivered to you? Or was it in reflection you identified? Probably, well, I'd say 50% because what I, the first thing I said was what you used to do in college is not going to work. So you better watch and see what these receivers are doing at this level. Okay. And so that moment, it was, you know, like when we were doing drills and stuff, instead of being over here, drinking water, taking a break, I was watching Webster Slaughter or Reggie Langhorn, or Brian Britt, these veteran wide receivers who had already played six or seven years and watching what they were doing at the line. And I'll tell you, Kyle, I was like, these guys aren't even as fast as me or as quick as me. If I could learn what they're doing, man, how much more so could I have even a longer career? Because mm. So what I love about that is through this whole story, there's never been this time where you, you mean, through this whole process, no door was ever really opened conveniently for you. I know. You were no, you weren't the number one draft pick. You weren't automatic starter, you know, first snap scrimmage, you know, you get chucked off the field, you know, by the veteran. But in this process, there's never been a time, JJ, where I've heard you say, ah, my dream's over. Like, what is it in you that you've always anchored to literally getting thrown off the field, right? that you've angered to that you have always believed and dreamed at a level that no one else in your life has dreamed at. What has allowed you to dream at this level? What do you like say somebody who's, you know, they've set a big goal for 2021, but they're not, maybe they're just like, nah, I don't know if we can do this or feel a little hesitant. What would you tell that person from what you discovered in your life and the way you've dreamed and accomplished things? I would say first, you got to get your mindset, right? You know, your, your mindset's everything. And my mindset was 10 feet tall, bulletproof. There was nothing anyone could tell me that I could not do. So at first I would be like, you've got to get your mindset right because one small idea in any moment, if it's negative, it can take you out of the game. 
You know, all of a sudden you start dealing with your own self-limiting beliefs. So you have to be able to have that strong mindset. You know, positive mindset separates the best from the rest. So when I was dealing with those moments, one thing I knew was physically I had the ability. I knew I could play, but I had to still learn the skills. I had to get better. I had to put in the time. And then when I would get my opportunity, I had to take advantage of it. And that's where I think a lot of people fail is that they will look at a situation that maybe it doesn't favor them. It appears it's not in their favor, but we have the control to make a difference. We have the ability to take control of the situation. The question is, are you willing to work for it? Mm. Are you willing to sacrifice for it? Are you willing to do what it takes? And a lot of people aren't. A lot and of one of the things aren't. I also noticed is, you're, is not only are you willing to work for it, you're willing to be patient for it. Yes. So talk to me about that a little bit, because one of the things I thought was really interesting about your story is at every league, at every step along the way, you didn't get to start right away. You had to, you had to pay your dues on the bench. Like, you know, first I go to college and then, eh, you know, hang on the pine for a bit. And, I, and then I think it was, was it the NFL where your first game, you just absolutely like 186 yards, couple touchdowns, 50 yard, uh, you know, plus, 50 yard plus catches. What allowed you to stay patient to know that someday, in some way, your dream was going to come along? Because timetable for people, from the moment you recognized you were going to play in the NFL to that breakout performance, how long was that? That was four years. Well, actually it was three years, but, but let me share this. So I get drafted by Cleveland. I tear up my ACL ligament in minicamp. Senior at Oregon, I'm getting ready for nationals in the long jump. I qualify for the 1980 Olympic trials. I go to the, the rookie camp and I tear up my ACL ligament. So track's over. I'm thinking, well, I'm still on the NFL team. They got to get me healthy. I'm on IR the whole year. The next year I go through camp. Have a really good camp. I'm not 100%. They cut me. Mm. Over the next four days, I fly to Kansas City. I fly to Detroit. I fly to Green Bay. I flunk all of their physicals because my knee has swelling in them. Five-day period, I flunk. Base, I get rejected by four NFL teams. Not ready to give up because I know I just got to get healthy and I got to get a right situation. Then I go to Dallas. The Cowboys signed me. I'm on their practice squad all season. They tell me they're going to play me in a game, Kyle. They never play me in a game. The season's over. We're 1-15, and 15, and Jimmy Johnson says, I don't think you're going to make it in the NFL, kid. You probably should do something else. They don't sign me. Mm. Time to quit? No, no, no. I go home. I continue the work. The Chiefs sign me. And here was the key. The whole time I had evaluated the talent, I had got a taste of it. So I knew I could play. I just had to get healthy, and I had to get in the right situation. Cleveland wasn't the right situation. Dallas wasn't the right situation. So when I came that third year, and had four teams wanting to sign me. I knew that I had to make it this time. And I eliminated, I don't care what their record was, what was the best fit for me? And it was Kansas City. And How did you know that? So, I mean, not only patient, but your willingness to, you, you got multiple offers. Was, was Green Bay one of the offers? Yes. Dang it. I'm a huge Packer fan. <laughs> this would have been even more. I mean, this is, I'm so excited to be talking to you, but I would have been even next level if you would have played for my Packers. But that's beside the point. So how did you stay patient in that moment to evaluate? And what did you ground that decision to? 
all great teams, all great, you know, there's, you know, each one of those I'm sure was an incredible opportunity, but how did you know that was a right environment for you? Cause the best, the best idea in the wrong environment is just as worse as a bad idea. Yeah. Right. We're not going to get it off the ground. So how did you know that? What did you use a process? What was that? What was that like for you? Well, I recognized I was going into my third year. I literally had credit for two NFL seasons and I hadn't even really played yet. So I knew that in the NFL, if you don't make it by your third year, you get labeled and you don't get any more shots. So this had to be the right decision. And so as I looked at, there was three teams that really wanted me badly. And I started looking at who's on their team. What is the speed of the players? What kind of offense does it run? And who are the coaches? I didn't look at what city it was in. I didn't care. I didn't look at what was their record the year before. I didn't care about that. I had to find the right situation for me. And when I went to Kansas City, they had no wide receivers who could run under a 4-6 in the 40. Mm. And here I come in running a 4-3. So I knew right away I had a competitive advantage. And every team needs a deep threat. Yeah, and stretch the defense. Yeah, <laughs> you know? they do. Yeah, and um, plus, not to mention, the jet, the coach who drafted me at Cleveland was Marty Schottenheimer. Okay. So Marty got fired the next year, and he went to Kansas City and became the head coach. So I took that into consideration because I know coaches have egos, and Marty drafted me in Cleveland, and I thought, here's a coach that's going to probably give me the best shot because he wants to look good. And that decision to draft me when he was in Cleveland. I love everything about this. So you, you one, you understood the environment. You knew your comparative advantage. You knew what you brought to the table. You knew what everyone else brought to the table. And you knew that there wasn't anybody like you. Right. That you're the fastest man on the field in the offensive position wide receiver, right? You understood that there was somebody else who was going to be in your corner all times because your success was their success. Correct. There was alignment. Right. That's a huge one. Right. Yeah. So often we, we want to try to make somebody like us or win them over to our side. And, and so we spend all this energy trying to convince somebody that we're worth the shot yeah. when here's a guy who already thought you were from day one, moment one. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you gave him the opportunity to look good. And you know what? I had to I really had to prove that he was right, because when I got there, the offensive coordinator did not want me there. Mm. He we ran a smash mouth offense, big running backs like Christian Okoy and Barry were, they wanted big receivers to block. And the offensive coordinator was not happy I was there. And I could tell, (laughs) I could tell, but you know what? I said, I'm going to force these guys to have to play me. You paved away for like Jordy Nelson. And I mean, Jordy wasn't a very big guy either. I mean, you know, you, you showed in the NFL, like, I'm sure you listed the stats and and like were you one of the smallest wide receivers from a weight perspective at that? Oh yeah. Up to that point? I think Kyle, I've been doing research. I am probably the lightest wide receiver in the last 30 something years who's played as long as I have. You know, I only know of one NFL player, Mark McMillan, who was a DB 57 147 pounds. He's the only one I know that was lighter than me in the last I don't know how many years. You were 157? 157. That's no, no, no. You want to stay away from people. <laughs> yeah, the coaches, Marty Schottenheimer, they would list me in the program like at 180 and 176. And he'd say, I didn't want the defense to know how small you really were. <laughs> that's that's probably smart. So you you raised this beautiful family. You 
you know, you, you obviously get the opportunity to share your story from the stage in beautiful ways. And, and, and I, I love, I love listening to those, those speeches you've given. I think I'm very curious is you have an intensity about yourself. You have an intense, you set a high standard for you. And I'm sure that's something for others around you. They see that, right? Not everybody can meet your standard. Not everybody can meet your pace. How do you create space for those on your team, for those around you to be their authentic self, knowing that you have this big dream and kind of as a follow-up for that, how have you helped others and what, what process would you recommend for leaders to help others unlock their dreams the way you've unlocked your own? Yeah, that's a good question. People, people have said I'm pretty intense. <laughs> My wife has said that too. But, you know, once a professional athlete, always a professional athlete, meaning that I still have that drive. I still have that, that tenacity, that, you know, that, that focus and that, because I want to be the best at anything that I do. I don't have to be number one, but I always want to give my best. And even in the business world, I'm a speaker. I also have a health and wellness business. I have a team. I do a lot of coaching and stuff. When people reach out to me and they want to work with me, I set the standard up front. I want to know, I want them to know what I expect of them, you know, because you, if you want to work with me and you want to really take your performance to the next level, I tell them this, we're going to play chess. I'm going to make a move. You're going to make a move. I make a move. It's not, I make five moves. You make no moves. If you want to run with me, here's what it's going to take. But I let them know if you follow this system or, and you stay disciplined, you're going to achieve things that you probably never thought you could achieve. And to be honest, there's some people that can't handle that and I, they don't work with me. And I'm like, that's okay. You know, but I just want them to know that this is what's driven me for many, many years, the coaches and mentors that I had, I want them to be direct. I don't want to sugarcoat it. I want them to set the example and lead from the front. And that's what I try to do as well. Share with me a time I think one of the things that's so interesting is there's these thematics that come forth through people's lives. Sometimes things they don't even see in themselves. They don't recognize the power that they just operate from it. Like I was having somebody share with me. It's like, how you're inspirational. I'm like, I call that Tuesday. I don't know what you're talking about. Like <laughs> it's just where I operate from. Right. Yeah. So share with me as you've gone on this journey and, you know, from college, to the NFL, you know, to the, the health and wellness, to speaking, what is something you've discovered about yourself in this journey that if you had known when you're 18, if you knew when you're 22, would have made your path easier? What thing about yourself have you discovered that has really given you strength and power at this age that would have been helpful that you wish you could, if I could put you in a time machine and tell that 20-year-old, tell that 18-year-old JJ that, what, what piece of wisdom have you gained through this journey that's been really powerful for you at this stage and phase of your life? Probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that early on, I think I, I spreaded myself too thin. I tried to do too much, you know, and, and I think more like when I retired from the NFL and, you know, I, I, I became owner of multiple businesses. I was, you know, I was obsessed with not being a former player who ends up failing in the transition and life after football. I got involved with so many different businesses and it was a learning lesson because a lot of them failed, a couple of them did okay. But one thing I learned from that is that if you're going to invest your time and energy in anything, then you need to be there every single day. You need to be involved every single day. And if you can't commit to that, then you don't need to do it. And I share that because now my businesses, I run them. I'm the guy, I make the decisions, you know, and in the past, 
I was just trying to do too much. And it's one of the things I share with a lot of former athletes who will, or athletes will ask me this. I say, you know what, as you're planning your life after football, try to find one real, one thing that you can be passionate about and that you can fully commit to. It's because you're going to be pulled in so many different directions. And when you spread yourself too thin, you end up not even really accomplishing what you want. You know, so um, that's probably one of the biggest lessons I learned, you know, over the years. That's a big one. I don't know if you've read Collins Built to Last or Good to Great. They're incredible well, business. Great, yeah. yeah. And it's that you're 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 more likely to die of indigestion than starve to death. Mm-hmm. And what I heard there is that the power of no, the power of boundaries and the power of no. And for a guy who, who everyone's saying, OK, you've got limitations and here are these limitations that had to have been incredibly hard for you to set those for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it surely is because like you've already saw, I always have a servant attitude. I want to help other people. You know, I want to help, but you realize that not everybody wants to be helped. Not everyone's willing to do what it takes. And so um, sometimes you do, you just have to say no. And, and that over the last five years, I think has relieved a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, because with the world of social media, you can be pulled in so many directions, you know, so oh my I, try gosh, stay, yeah. I try to stay in my lane and my expertise and my passion and just, and just do that. Yeah. So has anyone ever said no to you that you're like, yep, I, I agree with you there. Is there been anything that you think back where you, you tried to prove somebody wrong that maybe you shouldn't have, or, you know, now reflecting on it, like has, has that tendency ever got you, you know, I don't want to say in trouble, but like, have you learned any lessons from that, that element and how do you navigate now today, knowing these limitations? No, I probably would say probably the biggest lesson with the no is just, I learned how to really deal with no, you know, the NFL obviously taught me that from the many times I was rejected and how, Often people might hear the word no and they might become paralyzed or they might quit or they may go in another direction. Those no's made me hungrier. And it prepared me for what I do today. When I became a speaker, I remember when I wrote my book and I I launched my speaking career, I called 20 different schools and businesses. I offered my free service. Hey, I just want to speak. And I got no, 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 no. I got like 22 no's to be exact. Whoa. One of those no's made me hungrier. It made me go back to the drawing board, work on my presentation, work on my my pitch. And then finally someone said yes. But I just think the process early on of dealing with no and rejection, which made me better and stronger and hungrier, has allowed me to continue to do that to this day. Do you miss it? I mean, you probably don't hear no very often anymore, do you? Um, yeah, I do hear no. Okay. <laughs> I mean... Oh my goodness. You'd be surprised how many companies are looking to bring me as a speaker and they're trying to decide between me and someone else and and I'll lose it. I will not be the one they chose. But here's what what has helped me though, recognizing that I have to be able in my branding and my messaging, make it sure it's very clear what makes me the first, the best, and the only. And that's why when you see a lot of, in my marketing, you will see me mention, because I wouldn't do this in the past, 5'10", 157 pounds, nine years in the NFL. The average NFL player is two years in the NFL. The average size NFL player is 6'2", 245. So all my messaging includes that because I want, if a company's looking to have a speaker who knows what it's like to go against the bigger companies, 
who knows what it's like to deal with uncertainty, to deal with rejection, to deal with failure. I'm that guy. And because of that, it has increased my business because people know that if they bring me in, this is what makes him unique. This is the value he brings to them. These are the problems he solves. And so, so it's, it's made me better, I think, marketing myself as a speaker. I couldn't agree more. Whether that was the choice to go into Kansas City Chiefs and knowing your comparative advantage, whether it's as a speaker, you are very authentic to who you are. And knowing that comparative advantage of what you can bring to the table, what environments you're going to shine in has allowed you to carve this path. And I think one of the gifts that people you know, really need to give themselves is honoring who they are. Who are you? Yeah. What is what have you been made uniquely as yourself to give as gifts? Yours was speed, right? It wasn't size. Yours was agility. Unbelievable, right? Well, we wanted to take a pause here and share an exciting offer with you. I've been an advisor for almost 20 years. And one of the things that I have learned is if you go into retirement without a purpose, without a vision, without an intention, it's going to be a tough thing for you to retire happy. And so we have a special offer for you, our listeners. If you go to our website right now, Legacy Consultants Group, that's Legacy Consultants with an S, group.com, on our website is a free downloadable guide called Retire Happy. We know that nothing happens without intention, and we want to help you retire happy to retire on purpose, if you will. So go to LegacyConsultantsGroup.com and download our free guide retire happy. Now, without any further ado, we take you back to the episode. I think one of the things that's really special here is in one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you, and I'm so thankful for this opportunity to start the year, that you are one of our first conversations begin the year, is that you, you've lived the life of the underdog. You've lived the life of people saying, you can't, you can't, you can't. And if 2020 had a theme song, right? That was the word. So many, not you, but so many were saying, well, we can't, it's too hard. The coronavirus, the pandemic, the shutdown, whatever it was, everyone was pointing in business to say was just too hard. That thought process doesn't even resonate with you. So let's pretend that this mic is magic and you can speak to every small business owner, every startup, every person who is chasing that dream, who's facing some adversity right now right? Things are a little more challenging. Maybe they had a key member that left their team because of what's going on, whatever it may be. What advice would you give to that entrepreneur right now that you gained through your ability, this underdog mentality, coupled with talent, coupled with work ethic? What would you tell that that entrepreneur right now going into this new year that you think would be impactful for them? I would probably tell them that 2020 caught us all by surprise. You know, many people were caught off guard. Um, 2021, we know what we're dealing with. You know, and I would say you have to recognize that you're in control of the situation. It doesn't matter what happened last year. It doesn't matter what happens the rest of the year. You are in control. I say, but I would say there's three things you got to do. You got to process the information, meaning what are you dealing with exactly as you go into 2021 from your business strategy? What is the situation? Two, you got to make a decision. What are you going to do? <laughs> what is your game plan that you're going to implement? And then from there, you got to commit to it. You have to commit to it. And this is really all about doing the work from day to day because 
No one's just going to give it to us. There's no entitlement mentality here. You got to have the mentality that I am going to get it and be willing to put in the time and the work to get it. And that's, and I'm speaking from experience because oh, yes. when the virus hit, all my speaking engagements got boom, canceled, no live events, process the information. Well, looks like companies are hiring virtual presenters, make a decision. Do you want to become a virtual presenter? Yes. Commit to it. Get the lights repaint your office, start practicing presenting into this little camera and start marking yourself as doing virtual presentations. And that was a three-step process I did, ended well in, in 2021 or 20, and we're going to launch again in this year too. So I, I would recommend those three steps. That's incredible. That's a huge takeaway. Yeah, we started, we got all the equipment to record, start doing in-person podcast recording. We got like three of these mics. We get two or three episodes recorded and, and everything shut down. And I said, we've got to figure out, like, this is, there's no no to this. Like, we are launching a podcast. We're going to have conversations with leaders and individuals whose success has been grounded to some core values, mm -hmm. right? Some inner peace, some inner components that have allowed them to accomplish things that are incredible. And we're going to put a spotlight on who you are matters more than what you have. Mm -hmm. Who you are as a human being is more important than the resources you've accumulated, the trophies on the wall, because that's the stuff that's going to be consistent. I imagine there's elements of you that each one of your children and your nieces and nephews, those core values that have allowed JJ to do what you've done, no matter the circumstances, no matter the team, right? Yeah. It's that, right? Yeah. And when you're, when you're wise big enough, and that's, that's the, such a beautiful story that your life is. Of course you did. Mm -hmm. Of course you went virtual, right? Because <laughs> what else are you going to do? Yeah. That's who you are. Yep. You call you, like how long of a thought was it? Five seconds, ten seconds, or was it? Yeah, you call an audible. It's like in an NFL game when you're playing a game and Joe Montana gives you the play and you line up and he goes black razor. He's changing the play. I don't have time to go. Hold up, Joe. I'm gonna run the other route. No, it's you process the information, you make a decision, you commit, to it, and you do it all within five seconds. You know. Right. Right. Talk about the power of commitment. Like one of the things I think is really powerful in this piece, right, is you're out there. He calls the the audible, which life does. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the power of commitment in that moment and why that's so important for people with this with this game plan. That was the last piece of recommendation. Talk about why that's so critical to get for people to get to where they want to go. Oh, it's it's very important. You know, it's extremely important. And one of the things I tell people is that. Often we will make these commitments. We will set these goals and these intentions. And we do it in these moments when maybe we're hyped up, we're excited. Maybe we're at an event. And I say, I want you to write this definition down. Commitment is doing the things you said you're going to do long after the mood you said it in has passed. Mm. And it's to send the message that even when you don't feel like it, you're still going to do it. Even when you have bad days, you're still going to do it. Even when just life is throwing you all kind of curveballs, you're still going to do it. And the motivation behind that always has to do with our why, like you mentioned already. Because if the why is strong enough, you're going to do whatever it takes to get there and you're going to hold to that commitment. So um, I think where people fail is they might make the commitment, but they don't know why they're doing it. They don't know what's driving them behind that. And if they don't know, it's easy to quit. How important is for that why to be internally versus externally motivated in your opinion? Oh, internally, it's got to be right here. 
It's got to be right here. And when it's internal, fear, doubt, no one's opinion, something unpredictable that happens, nothing's going to stop you from doing what you need to do because it's always driving you from internal. You know, that's why I always tell people, I say, you have to peel the onion. There's this technique we call peeling the onion to find your why. You know, an onion has multiple layers. You got to keep peeling, keep peeling. Well, when you're trying to figure out your why, you want to ask yourself, so why is this important to me? Whatever your answer is, then you say, well, why is that important to you? Whatever your answer is, you say, well, why is that important to you? Because sometimes it takes three or four times to get to the core, the deep seat of motivation. And when you get there, Kyle, you got a why that's going to drive you no matter what the circumstances are. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So I'm in this process, what I call my decade of discovery. I really want to understand. I don't know what my limits are. I'm sure they're out there someplace. I haven't found them yet when it comes to endurance and what I can do. Just like, where will I stop? And so... Uh, last October, I did uh, Jesse Itzler's 29029, where I climbed the same mountain 17 times till I climbed 29,029 vertical feet cumulatively, did in 31 hours. And I was interviewed at the top of the, the mountain after one of my ascents for their social media thing. And they asked, like, why are you doing this? And I said, you know, I've got three young kids. Uh, now they're eight, six, and two. They were younger then, but And I said, I want to show them that just because you're an adult, Mm -hmm. you don't stop doing courageous things. That being a kid is courageous. Everything's big. Everything's scary. Everything's like, you don't have any choice whether to be brave as a child. It's just what degree of brave are you going to be? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a new teacher every year. You're making new friends, all that jazz that goes on. And the world's a scary place. People use words you don't understand. It's very, if if you're an empathetic parent, you see this, right? Even if that child's growing up, and, you know, in a, in a home where, the, you know, the mother and father are still together and everyone's, you know, in a good financial situation, like my kids, you know, you add the layers that so many kids are dealing with that are more challenging than what my kids have to face. And so I said, I want to show my kids that you don't stop doing things that are brave just because you become an adult. I want to model courage to them, right? So this year... I signed up for a 50-mile ultramarathon. I'm going to go to Illinois. I'm going to run, you know, 50 miles. And this whole virus, the pandemic unfolded. And I've been training from, you know, it's a six-month training program, wow. running boatloads of miles, you know, getting up out the door, running at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. There was a time where my wife got super sick, so I couldn't get my run in the morning. So, I, you know, I start my run. At, kids are in bed. Start my run at 8 o'clock at night. So I'm running into the sunset, you know, finish up at 10 30, 11 o'clock at night, kind of crazy stuff. And they cancel it. They cancel the event, right? So my opportunity to go run with community, to go connect with people, to go have, it's gone, it's over, right? Mm-hmm. But you can do a virtual, right? Mm-hmm. In my why, it never was about that. It never was about the trophy. It never was about the medal. It never was about the shirt. It was never, it was never about any of those things, yeah. right? And so on October 3rd, I ran a self-assisted 50-mile ultra marathon and have the most incredible experience where my kids on a piece of toilet paper held up a finish line in front of my home, right? I wanted them to be part of it and and the environment. And so I couldn't agree with you more, right? Is that it wasn't even a hesitation. It was like, this is, I want to show this to them. And they were there every step of the way, 10 plus hours of running, they saw the whole, they got to see the whole thing. And I told my wife, I said, honey, I said, now that we're doing this at home, I want you to understand something. I said, there's two ways this day ends. 
I said, I run 50 miles or you call 911 and you take me to the hospital in an ambulance, but there's no way I'm quitting. She's <laughs> like, I'm in, let's go. <laughs> Did you, you literally run 50 miles? In a day, yeah, 50 oh. miles in a day. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, 50 miles consecutively. So 10 hours of running time, 12 hours of clock time, uh, you know, and you've got three young kids. There's a lot of hugs and kisses in between each lap. So I did a, um, a 10 and then five, eight mile runs consecutively. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. When, when they say life's a, your, your world, your success, life's a sprint, right? Yeah. In my world, life's a marathon. I'm going to yeah. get, it's, you know, it's uh, there's two ways to be the most successful in life, right? Mm-hmm. Is one is to be the best at building a building. The other is to never stop building yours. Mm. <laughs> There's two ways to get the tallest building in town, right? Yeah. I, I rarely have been the most talented on the field. Mm-hmm. But one thing I will do is I will continue to build long after everyone quits. Good for you. So, which is, sounds exactly your story. And so I was excited to have this conversation with you is that so often we quit, yeah. right? Your patience is incredible in what you went through, right? So many times, so many places. So when we think about your story and what you want to leave this world, let's fast forward. Say it's 15, 20 years from now. Uh, do you have any grandkids yet? One. Yes. Yes. How old? River is 19 months. 19 months. Yeah. Do they, is River close by, I hope, for yeah. grandpa? Yeah, they live in Arizona, yeah. Nice, nice. So it's 10 years from now. So River is 11, 12 years old. He's He's impressionable. He's almost going to be a teenager, right? In this, in this hypothetical, and it's Thanksgiving, right? And who is it? Just son or your daughter's child? My son's child. Okay, so it's Thanksgiving. They're over at your place, and you see your son having a conversation with River. He's making a point. He's having one of those conversations, father-son conversation. Maybe you guys are out playing a game of pickup. River has a bad attitude, mm-hmm. right? That kind of thing. What is the one value you hope your children will carry forth to River and all the other grandchildren you may be blessed with? What's the one legacy from who you are that you hope is always part of your family? I would say um, that your grandfather was one of the good guys. Meaning that, because when you think about people, you either think about them in a positive way or a negative way. And I want to be thought of as a as the positive way, meaning that your grandfather was one of the good guys. I mean, he was a hard worker. He accomplished some amazing things with his work ethic. He was uh, very honest. He was very trustworthy. He was filled with integrity. He was a great leader. He set a good example. He made great decisions. He took care of his health. He was a great father, a great husband. I want to just encapsulate all of that so they, that they remember me as I, I set the right example of being a good person. You know, be remembered for that because when I think of people in my past, my family members, some of them were good and some of them weren't so good, you know. But I want Dante, my son, to be able to share this. And you see your grandfather over there? He's about 80 now, but man, he's pretty amazing. He's accomplished some amazing things and he continues to do it to this day. I love that. I love that. Well, JJ, I want to thank you so much for the wisdom. I think one of the things that that I will never forget from this conversation, and I can't wait to share this with our audience, is that so often in life, that if we stopped at the first point of resistance, if we stopped at the first no, if we stopped at the second, the third, the 22nd no, we don't get very far, 
right? That your clarity and your clarity and your confidence, your conviction of why you were going to do something, what intentionality you wanted to bring to this world has driven you to achieve so many incredible things. And I hope when people hear this, and I know that they will, that they seek inside themselves and they identify in themselves that deep-seated why and give those gifts to the world because they've heard your story. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. And I, I'm going to tell you, when, I, when we end this conversation, I didn't get to see all the highlight reels. When I wrap this up, I'm going to be hitting YouTube to watch it. Um, <laughs> so let me ask you, I've got one more question for you. Before we ask that, I want to ask you, how can we support you? How can people find you? If they want to know more from you, if they want to book you as a speaker, if they want to read the book, help us understand how we can find you. Yeah, I would recommend go to my website, jjburden.com. That's the hub. So you can learn everything about my speaking there and, and um, access to my book as well. That's always the best place to order because those come directly to me so I can sign each book as they go out. But um, And I'm all over social media. I'm very active. I love to share value. So um, just reach out and make sure you say hello and connect with me on social media too. Yeah, your Instagram page is... They're looking for uh, uh, wisdom and applicable wisdom, something people could yeah. take away and put right into their life. You, you share a lot of that on your Instagram page. It's, it's great stuff and your energy comes through on those. So I want to ask you one last question before we let you go. What does legacy on purpose mean to you, JJ? Legacy on purpose. I think just, you know, being intentional about what you want about what you want to do, about what example you want to set, you know, just being on, being on purpose every day, not just living life, just kind of floating aimlessly doing whatever, but really having a purpose, having a drive and just feeling good about what you do from day to day. You know, that's, that's what I think it is being intentional about accomplishing what's important to you. Hmm, I love that. Well, I could tell you this, one of the things I know will be said about you is that you're one of the good guys. So thank you for sharing your goodness with us. And uh, thank you again for your time. Hopefully we can stay in contact. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, thank you so much for staying with us for what an incredible episode and story that was. One of my favorite pieces of that conversation was this, is patience. So many times along the way in that story for JJ, he had to take a step backwards, back onto the bench, back to wait for his opportunity. But while he was waiting, he wasn't wasting that time. He was preparing. What an incredible value that he has. The opportunity to recognize that the most important thing we can do is prepare for the opportunity. So when it arrives, we're ready to go. So JJ, thank you so much for that wisdom and spending your time with us. As a reminder, securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., RAA member FINRA, SIPC. RAA is separately owned and other entities and our marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of RAA. JJ Burden is not affiliated with RAA. The information presented by him is solely his responsibility and comments made may not necessarily reflect the opinion of RAA. You can find Legacy Consultants Group at 8515 Cedar Place Drive, Suite 108, Indianapolis, Indiana, 46240. You can reach us by phone at 317-469-95555, 317-469-95555. We'd love to hear from you. So shoot us a line at LegacyOnPurpose at LCGINDY.com. That's LegacyOnPurpose at LCGINDY.com. Now go out. 
and live your legacy on purpose.